What's up? Welcome back to Project Freelance. What's up, guys? How's it going today? So first of all, before we get into this episode, I need to just quickly apologize. My apartment complex has decided that they need to start cleaning the gutters out before it starts raining here in the winter in Southern California. So uh, if you hear people stomping around on my roof or if you hear leaf blowers or anything like that, just know that it's because they are... uh, doing some maintenance and I do apologize for that you know it's hard to have a quiet environment when they start at 8 30 in the morning but yeah this is an awesome episode I am talking with Annabelle Deflux today and she is a music and animal photographer who started when she was super young and now she is full-time freelance photography all the time and she specializes in exotic animal photography and she does a lot of band portraits and a couple other things here and there but I wanted to talk to her about how she got into photography how she got into animal photography what what it's like to work with exotic animals and I just wanted to hear her story more I met her at a Sigma event she was actually a speaker with our last guest who was Graham Sheldon from last week. If you haven't checked out that episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that one. We talk a lot about how to travel as a filmmaker. If you want to be a freelance filmmaker and you want to travel for a living, I highly recommend that episode. He went to Chernobyl. He's been to Cuba. He's been to almost every continent on the planet. So yeah, definitely check out last week's episode. But this week we have Annabelle on and I'm super excited to talk to her But before we get into this, there are a couple things down in the description that I want you to know about. Some affiliate links, things like Mile IQ for tracking your mileage, Mint for tracking your expenses, things that will help you out with tax season coming up. It's right around the corner, guys. I know it's December, but I mean, you need to get this stuff ready to go, especially if you're a freelancer. You know how the IRS likes to, uh, you know, take advantage of us and take our money, our hard-earned money. So yeah, if you guys need help with any of that kind of stuff, there are links down in the description for you. Other than that, if you need some gear, there are a bunch of Amazon affiliate links in the description for things like backpacks, GoPros, DJI Mavics, anything that you need that I use is down in the description. So yeah, if you need some recommendations, check out the description. And if you want to get to know Annabelle more, her links will also be down below. But without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Annabelle, could you please introduce yourself and what it is that you do to the world as a freelancer? So my name is Annabelle D. Flux, and I am a professional photographer. So how did you get into photography? Take me way back to like your first photography adventure. Oh man. So I got my camera when I was around 10 years old, um, or at least my first camera anyways. It was a gift from my grandfather. Um, I was always very artistic as a child, so I was always drawing or painting or doing something creative. And photography was the only medium that I hadn't actually tried, um, so they thought it would be a good idea to get me a camera. And I wish I could tell you exactly what it was that made me fall so in love with photography in that moment, but whatever, you know, force kind of pushed me into it, it was just love at first sight. I mean, I was running around with this itty-bitty little red point-and-shoot camera from Target like every day, photographing everything. And with that love kind of manifested this desire to do this indefinitely. I was like, I never want to stop doing this. (laughs) This is what I want to do. And when I became a teenager, um, I received my first DSLR camera, which was uh, one of the new uh, Canon Rebels, 
or at least when they first came out. It was the first time that it was teeny bit bigger and looked more like how DSLRs at Canon look today. And, you know, I was always a big fan of animals as well. So I just dove right into photographing animals for years. I was like, this is my thing. Um, and then when I was about 15 or so, I actually graduated high school early because I wanted to pursue photography um, so passionately. And I realized that I couldn't actually go to school and do photography at the same time. So I decided, why don't I just graduate early and dive right into doing photography? And that's exactly what I did. And about, uh, I wanna say about a year, maybe a little less after that, um, a friend who was dating a musician at the time approached me and begged me to take photos of her boyfriend's band because there was nobody else who knew how to use a camera. And despite my protests of, I only photograph animals, I'm not gonna do this, uh, she kind of pulled me into it because it was the one friend that I couldn't really say no to. And I'm really, really glad she did because that just sparked something entirely new in me. And that's what really pushed me to go down the route of also doing music photography. Um, I never gave up my passion for photographing animals uh, because that is something that I just can't choose between. I have to photograph animals. So I like to make the joke that um, pets wake me up early in the morning because most pet owners tend to have their shoots fairly early in the morning is when the dogs and cats and whatnot tend to be a little more active. And then uh, the music photography keeps me from ever going to sleep at night because that schedule is completely opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, were you a fan of like Animal Planet at Geo? Were you watching things like that as you were developing your photography skills? Oh my gosh. I was watching that every single day. Not gonna lie, I still watch Nat Geo pretty frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so it's beautiful. Their documentaries are just phenomenal. <laughs> so what was it about animals that really drew you to capture them with a lens? You know, I was always really bonded towards animals. I have no siblings, and my siblings were always pets, whether it's dogs. And at the moment, I actually have a parrot and a dog, um, two little talkative beings. And I don't know, when I, when I looked at them, I just saw saw such character and life and emotion and story to them and I realized that a lot of it has to do with their eyes um, not as much as their antics and just looking at that I go I need to document this forever <laughs> I need to make this this face immortal and that's kind of what photography is I mean when you take especially now with digital photography versus film photography where those prints would um, start to decompose over a period of time I mean, with digital photography, it really is kind of sitting on there forever, depending on where you put it on. Yeah, there could be some tech fails and whatnot, but if you put it on the internet or put it on some cloud-based service, one can argue that photographs kind of do become immortal at that point. And the life expectancy yeah. of modern prints is like hundreds of years. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so you kind of have a unique perspective. We talk to a lot of people on this podcast about, you know, uh, education and going through college or not going through college or if you should go through college. So what's your take on, you know, studying photography in a formal setting? Do you think that it's necessary or not so much? So I'm actually a self-taught photography uh, photographer. Blech. It's still morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have two degrees from school and none of them pertain to photography. 
And this is why. I feel like you'll find that it's going to be a lot more helpful to either shadow another photographer or take private photography courses or little photography workshops than learning photography in a very formal school setting because the thing that always frustrated me when I first tried to take some art classes in a college or a university is that they don't seem to teach you how to actually build up your creativity, nor do they seem to teach you how um, to sell something that you're incredibly passionate about. They're kind of, photography falls into this box, you do it in this box, anything that ever so slightly moves outside of this box is wrong. And I find that depending on the personality of student, that really does stifle them and that really does shut them down a lot. Um, some people, especially I guess like me, who can be a little headstrong, be like, well, I'm going to do it this way anyways. It's good to learn the rules, but the point of learning the rules is to know how to effectively break them. But exactly. there are also students who, when they constantly get hit with the, no, you're doing it wrong, no, that's stupid, no, that's bad, it really does close them down and prevents them from reaching their full potential. However, on the topic of education, what I do strongly urge artists to do, which I'm sure I'll get pushback on because I get pushback on saying this in my personal life is go study business. The reason you want to study business is if you want to find a way to sustain yourself on your artwork, you should have some business sense behind it. And that also prevents the people who do have business sense who are trying to take advantage of you from being able to do so. You're always kind of a few steps away from, you know, ahead of them. You can read contracts. You can understand what's in that contract. I feel like this plagues the music industry tremendously, where you get hit with really bad contracts that sound great on their face, but because you don't understand what you're reading in them, you might have missed something that's really fundamental there, um, as well as the fact that photography is very much a service industry. Um, if you want to structure it as a business, you really should learn the key fundamentals of running a business. Um, that also helps you with your client relations and anything to do with managing clients in say a service industry. So I do urge freelancers to, you don't necessarily have to get a degree in business. That's not necessary. I can't say that any of my photography jobs have ever asked to look at my degrees. Um, but it is important to educate yourself on that front. I mean, on my desk where I edit, I have legal books that tell me about copyright law, uh, what you can and cannot do in the state of California, what you can and cannot do in the United States. I have procedural outlines on there. It's all stuff that I can reference in case something happens or in case someone approaches me with something that sounds a little too good to be true. <laughs> and have you run into those instances before? Have you ever, I mean, one of the questions that we ask on this podcast is, have you ever been screwed over by anything? Have you ever been taken advantage of? Have you ever not been paid? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. And unfortunately, I feel like it's a bit of a growing pain when you're an artist. You're probably going to experience that. Because when you're new and fresh, um, you don't know how the industry works, which is completely understandable. Like, for me, people can tell me how the industry works 10,000 times, but until I butt my head into the wall myself, it's not really going to register in my mind how it actually works. There are so many things that people feel... Um, that other humans would not do to them, and that's exactly what they end up doing to them. Because unfortunately, uh, my issues is that I always view everyone um, the way kind of that I see myself, um, in the sense that 
I'm gonna be respectful to other people. I'm going to pay them if I say that I'm going to pay them. I'm going um, to not screw them over, steal their work and run. But unfortunately, the rest of the world doesn't always operate that way. And I have run into so many instances in the beginning of my career where I didn't get paid for my work. I naively uh, took someone's word that they were going to pay me. I didn't have contracts, which was a huge no-no. Anyone who starts out, even before you click that button, a contract is a really good idea. <laughs> and they've taken my work, not paid me, and run. And the problem that I run into uh, with the legal system here is that, yeah, you can sue someone and you can win, and the court says they have to pay, but no one really enforces that payment. So at the end of the day, a lot of people tend to, depending on the pay and depending on the person they sued, kind of drop it because then you have to hire a collections agency or a PI to find them and to make sure that they're going to pay you. And you're not really backed up in that regard, so to speak, um, especially yeah. if you don't have a contract. If you don't have a contract, it turns into he said, she said, and that's just a whole mess in itself. And this doesn't just extend to individuals. This can extend to businesses. This can extend to corporations. It's unfortunately, it's just kind of a risk that you take when you go and you start uh, working for money, so to speak. <laughs> so how long did it take for your business to go from you just doing it as a passion and doing it for fun to something that paid your bills? So when I was 15 is when I started charging for my work. Uh, because it wasn't a lot. It was honestly pennies. But you know, what What kid knows what to do? <laughs> I was just like, this is worth more than zero. <laughs> um, and it took me about, I'd say, six or seven years to really build that up to a point where I could pay my bills off of it. It takes a long time. That's the thing. It seems like it's something that, wow, I'm good at it, and I'm going to get clients, and it's just going to work now. Unfortunately, that's not really the case. Um, you do have to do invest a lot in marketing and getting your voice out there and getting yourself out there and people to recognize you and notice you. And you're probably going to do a lot of really cruddy jobs that you don't want to do <laughs> in order to get there or have to work for very little in order to establish yourself in that city or to build up a resume that justifies the price you want to pay or you want to charge people. So it takes quite a few years. And I was also in um, university at the time studying business. Um, so that was also kind of a bit of a stifling thing there because the time commitment between the two. <laughs> so let's just say that I decided that the thing that I should sacrifice is my social life. <laughs> so you were studying and you were, you were trying to get your photography off the ground. Did you have any real, quote unquote, real jobs to help uh, supplement your income while you were in that interim? I did not at that time because I was very fortunate to be living with my folks. Um, I know that is something that not everyone has the luxury of being able to do. So it is possible to do just a regular nine to five job that pays your bills or helps, helps you out financially while you're building up your photography. And I've actually seen fellow photographers take that nine to five, show their bosses that they have this creative skill and get boosted to a better position, a position on, say, the marketing team or uh, the creative developments team or the content creation for uh, businesses, social medias and whatnot. So I find that there will always be a way where there's a will to kind of get what you want. 
for sure. So have you ever done any internships or have you ever been a mentor for anybody? I have not personally done any internships. Um, I shadowed some photographers that became very good friends of mine, and I'm incredibly grateful for them to allow me to shadow them when I was first learning. And um, as of, gosh, my times might be off because I can't even believe it's going to be 2020. I think it was about five years ago um, I started teaching photography classes um, because I always love to teach other people. I especially love to teach people that have that same spark in their eye and have kind of that passion for it. And I realized that since I am self-taught, I kind of figured out the camera and figured out how to take pictures in a way that seemed kind of logically intuitive to someone who's just looking at an item and not really know how to use it. And then they kind of figure out how to get there. So um, another reason that I don't particularly like um, traditional education for photography is because they tend to talk to you as if you already know what you're doing, which doesn't yeah. necessarily work when you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so I've seen so many people sell their cameras, drop the camera, never pick it up again because they got so frustrated when they were trying to learn it and they were thrown with all this technical jarble that, to be honest, unless you really want to dive into how a camera works, it's not necessarily that important when you take pictures um, but they were just so berated by that that they just could not they were just so overwhelmed they're like well the camera is now the most complicated piece of equipment in the world and I can't take a picture now um, so I was looking at them to go how about I show you how to do this because I can show you how I got there I can explain all of these terms very simply to you and then you can pick up the camera and have some fun because the whole point of all of this is that the reason we're doing it, the reason we're even getting into something creative is because we love it at the end of the day. It's not because this is an easy way to make money or this is an easy living. Gosh, if we wanted an easy living, we'd go do something entirely different, something probably not related to art in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, it, we do because we love it. So it really bums me out to see people who really do love what they're doing just feel so discouraged because they can't understand what they're doing or someone isn't able to explain it properly to them. So that's when I started teaching classes. Um, I try to take, whenever I have the opportunity available, I do try to take students out to shoots with me just to check it out, maybe take a few pictures themselves. Um, unfortunately, as of recent, most of my shoots tend to be closed sets, um, especially in the music photography front, so I don't have the opportunity to take students with me in mentorship level. Um, but I still do offer classes. I let people send me their photos and... <clears throat> get opinions on them. I suggest gear to people. Um, anything that I can do to help out in any way that I can when I'm not able to bring someone with me. Awesome. Yeah, I think as like, because I just got certified as a drone pilot and I think that I'm seeing a lot of people with the same kind of things like getting discouraged because now they can't just go fly a drone. They have to learn all of this FAA like aeronautics jargon and how to read maps and like all this kind of stuff so I think it's pushing a lot of people away from pursuing aerial photography and cinematography and it's such a huge industry and it's booming right now and it's really starting to come up so 
like for people out there that not only are photographers, but if you want to get into like drone stuff as well, I think that it's super important to take the time and learn the learn the craft and it will pay off in the end if you just take the time to learn the craft and learn all the technical aspects of it. Um, and I, when I was in film school, I also had like the the struggle of not understanding what they were talking about. They were like, oh, aperture and ISO. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. Just hand me a camera, you know, give me a camera, put it in my hands and let me look at it and figure it out as I go. And I think I learned more hands-on than I did actually in film school. You know what I mean? I learned about 5% of what I know in film school. But yeah, I definitely took away a lot of like technical aspects of it after I learned everything. Um, so let's talk about some of the projects you've worked on. Tell me about some of your top projects that you've done. Oh man, this is, I feel like every time someone asks me this question, my brain just draws a blank because I do so many different things. I'm just like, what did I even work on yesterday? Um, well, one of my favorite projects, as I know the two of us were talking about, is that I do photography for a fox conservation facility. Um, over near San Diego, it's um, in eastern unincorporated San Diego. Uh, they're called the Judith A. Bassett Canada Education and Conservation Center. Um, and what they do there is they educate the public on foxes, an animal that people actually don't know a whole lot about. I mean, you hear all sorts of things when you see people um, look, pick up, touch and hold a fox like you can there. And they're just like, oh my God, this is not... A dog-cat hybrid. (laughs) (laughs) I am so passionate about that project and um, showing the world what that facility is about, what these animals are like through my photography. So probably one of my top favorite projects is we actually did a fashion editorial for um, a model and a designer and a makeup artist over there um, to basically show the foxes with these beautiful gowns and this lovely model who... Um, ended up having an incredible bond with these foxes. Like, they really opened up to her, especially um, the silver fox, whose name is Mikhail, who can be a little droopy and a little, I don't really want to be in the pictures. I'm just going to droop over (laughs) here. I'm not going to look at the camera. And he had such a bond with this model, which was incredible to see. You know someone's an animal person when uh, Mikhail decides he wants to pose with you. Because usually he's like, I'm just going to be flat on the ground. It's fine. I don't need to look at the camera. And to this day, that editorial is still kind of shared all over the place, both by the facility and then the people who just kind of find it on the internet. And that was just such a fun and remarkable day. And we drove so far and that model flew down from Florida for it. (laughs) So it was a big, and the dresses were rented from a designer in Europe. So it was like a whole endeavor uh, to bring that that concept to fruition. And then other projects that I've really, really loved doing is um, kind of building bands, visual content, essentially from the ground up to an extent, kind of like completely reworking their socials and reworking their image and giving them something that looks incredibly professional, that kind of showcases who they are, Um, shows the world exactly what they want the world to see and kind of takes it from, hi, I'm taking cell phone pictures of ourselves and then I got like my sister with a point-and-shoot camera to take a photo of us in front of the brick wall outside of our house and turn it into something that's incredibly visually striking. That's actually something I'm 
so passionate about doing, to be honest with you. It's, it brings me so much joy to just have a band be like, this is our music. What, what can you, what can you see in this? What can you, what do you think about this? And how do we translate this in a visual platform for people to want to listen to this? And it is my favorite, favorite thing to do because as odd as it sounds, although I've talked to several creatives that are like, oh no, I get it. I feel the same way. Um, when I listen to music, I can almost visualize the color scheme that needs to go with it. And I can almost visualize the types of visuals that need to go with it. Um, so it's incredibly cool to be able to take that and actually turn it into something for a band. And most of the time when I present them with like, you know, a pitch to what we should probably do with this, um, they look at the idea and the color scheme and they go, oh my God, this actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> That's awesome that you can take a band's music and you can come up with a concept for it, you know, just by listening to a song or two. Um, so do you prefer to work with animals or humans? <laughs> oh gosh, I can't choose, unfortunately. That's why I do both and never sleep. <laughs> I can't choose. It's, it's, they're so, on a technical level, they're very similar, but on, I would say an emotional level are incredibly different. Um, animals talk back a little less. Animals feel like all their sides, including their butt, are their good side. <laughs> That's kind of the difference. But sometimes those two worlds collide. Um, there have been many times where I photographed uh, band people who are like, I have a pet. <laughs> Take photos of my pet. Or I photographed pet owners who are like, oh, my cousin's in this band. Um, we've mixed the exotic animals in with photo shoots. Um, Actually, one of my first shoots with Wolves um, actually ended up on an album cover because it was an album cover shoot. <laughs> so sometimes those those worlds tend to collide. Um, I've worked on uh, long-term photo shoots for um, Ace Von Johnson, who plays in L.A. Guns, Faster Pussycat, and he's a big pit bull advocate. Um, so I take photos of his dog Myla and him and Myla together all the time, and we sell prints to... Um, raise some money for Pitbull advocacy and he does such incredible work so that's been a way in which the two worlds kind of collided and actually our friendship started because we just started talking about dogs and turns out we adopted our dogs from the same place and we both do a lot of charity work for animal rescue so we're like oh hey there's another one like me out there <laughs> so what's it like to coordinate getting these animals like where do you find wolves at like did you just go into the wild and find some wolves or did you rent them like how do you find these animals pluck them from the wilderness just pluck them out of the alaska do they have wolves in alaska Ah, uh, that's actually a good question i feel like i should know the answer to this all the wolf people are just gonna hate me right now they're like how do you not know but <laughs> i don't think i don't think there's wolves in alaska I don't believe there, there might, might be. be. Maybe. I don't know. Yellowstone yeah, has anyway. wolves. can tell you that for sure. <laughs> true, true. Um, and they're starting actually to move over to uh, Northern California, back where um, Northern California used to be populated by wolves, and then they were all poached, unfortunately. And some of the packs are actually starting to slowly get back over there, so that's kind of cool to see. But to go back to the original question... Um, I'm actually a part of a community of people who own uh, high-content wolf dogs, 
And what a high content wolf dog really means is that there's more wolf in this animal than there is dog. Um, however, it's not a, a wolf got bred to a dog situation. It's, yeah, a wolf got bred to a dog longer than, or many, many years ago, probably longer than I've been alive. And then you breed wolf dog to wolf dog to wolf dog to wolf dog to wolf dog until you get to this point now where you have animals that have very, very high wolf percentages and they are completely unrecognizable or like indistinguishable from a wild wolf because they really do share all of the physical characteristics. However, um, they do also have some of the docile temperament of a dog and some of the, the love for people from a dog. Um, but not to be confused, these are definitely not dogs, and they do require licenses and permits to own, and are most definitely not for the faint of heart, because this is still not a domestic animal. But I'm a part of a community of people who, who own them, and raise them, and take care of them, and these people are part of uh, ambassador programs in which they use their animals to educate the public on wolves and saving the wolf because the wolf is an endangered species and incredibly vital for the ecosystem. And they tend to partner with uh, big wolf sanctuaries and wolf facilities such as the Wolf Education Project and Julian, uh, Wolf Mountain Sanctuary and Big Bear, and facilities such as that. And I'm very good friends with those private owners, and that's where I acquire the animals for these photo shoots. Um, but for anyone who wants to pursue this, make sure that the owners have a proper USDA license to be able to have them in photo shoots because you can be on the hook if they do not and forbid if something happens during this photo shoot. You really don't want to muck around with that, especially because the people who do own them really do need um, to know what they're doing and to have the proper permissions to display these animals in a commercial setting like a photo shoot yeah so for all of you out there listening you can't just go pluck a wolf out of a national park and use it in your photo shoot it doesn't really work that way you, you got to do this stuff properly yeah i mean maybe if you like sit there and be like hey you bored you want to hang out in a photo shoot i'll get you some steak maybe they'll listen i don't know <laughs> So how are you getting your gigs? Are, are are these like word of mouth? Are you finding them on uh, Facebook or freelancing sites? How are you getting your gigs? So it tends to be a mixture of all of the above minus the freelancing sites, only because I've never really um, explored that avenue. Uh, when I first began, it was entirely, I went out to businesses and I was trying to make deals with them to try and make cross-promotion deals where they advertise my services and I advertise theirs and their clientele will see that I do photography and maybe it's like a grooming salon for dogs or a music venue for bands and try and establish relationships in the local community. Um, I dove really deep into the local music community and whatnot and went out to shows and advertised myself and talked to the musicians who were playing and snapped a couple photos to show them what I can do and um, stuff like that. And then I realized what the power of social media is because at the time when I was doing photography, I was still a kid and I really, honestly, I was not the kind of kid that was really sitting on the internet that much. Like I had a DeviantArt account because every teenager had one, but it wasn't, I wasn't sitting on Facebook. I wasn't really, I never had a Twitter. Um, Instagram wasn't a thing at the time. So it wasn't something that I really gave a lot of value to until, I really looked into and realized that social media and the power of social media is an incredible marketing tool. 
So after that, I started advertising on social media and really finding clients on social media through various marketing means. Um, and I just kept building that, building that, building that until you kind of hit today in which I'm still advertising, I'm still seeking clients because that's something that everyone does, but a lot of the work that I get tends to be someone has found me because of a presence on the internet or, of course, word of mouth. I always do referral deals. I always um, give big thanks to anyone who refers and word of mouth is so important, especially in the creative community, especially in music or pet photography or any sort of photography. Word of mouth is huge, huge. So if somebody wants to get involved with one of these uh, communities that you are a part of, how did you find out about all of this stuff? Like, like, did you uh, read about it somewhere? Like, how did you find out about, like, for, for example, the wolf community? Like, how did you find that? So I wish it was one of those. I looked on the internet and I saw it, but the wolf one was a little bit of an accident, just like my music one was a little bit of an accident. <laughs> um, I got contacted by someone who had a high content wolf dog um, and wanted some pictures and my initial reaction was, oh great, it's someone with a Siberian husky claiming it's a wolf. That's cool. I drove all the way out to San Diego. Lo and behold, it's a wolf. So wow. I was like, oh wow, you really weren't kidding. <laughs> um, and she really brought me into the whole community. But with the power again of Facebook, because at the time when this happened, I was like 17 or so, and it wasn't, there wasn't so many like Facebook groups, and I wasn't a big community about it. There was always a billion users on Facebook, but it didn't have the kind of social aspect it has now, if that makes sense. Like if you've seen on Facebook, the groups are like huge, and there's hundreds of thousands of members and all that stuff that if anyone was trying to get into it right now today easiest thing you can probably do is jump on social media and look through hashtags of anything that you want to do or look through a topic that you want to look at and you'll find the community for it. Such as you can go on Facebook right now and type in wolf dog owners and you're going to find a huge amount of groups, sometimes groups by state. So it makes it so much easier to be involved in that community because you kind of have it's like easy access to it right there. It's not one of those, oh, you know, you got to ask some people around, see where they are, physically go there and talk about yourself and try and build a relationship and kind of do it the way that you kind of old school had to do it. Now you can kind of just jump on in. It's kind of a cheat sheet for getting involved in various communities. Um, getting involved in the music community is still one of those things where you're really going to be better off going to an actual local venue and hanging out with some local bands rather than jumping on the internet and being like, local musicians of Los Angeles. <laughs> and finding that there's like 300,000 members on there. <laughs> and you're like, cool, that's a lot of people. I don't think I've ever seen any of these people anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Facebook groups are the only thing really keeping me on Facebook anymore. You know, I don't really post much on Facebook other than like what I'm working on today. But it's usually just trying to find those people in the community to like reach out and work with. Um, so, yeah, I definitely advocate for, you you know, using social media to find your community and and you know, find potential clients out there. 
But yeah, definitely nothing beats in person, especially when it comes to live music photography. Like you have to go out and go to a venue and put yourself in the position to talk to those bands. Um, so tell me about some of your influences. Who, who do you look up to in the photography world? Man, I've actually been incredibly lucky to work with a couple of the photographers that I really look up to in the photography community. Um, Chad Michael Ward was one whose work I found years and years ago. And although his work is incredibly different than mine, we have a very distinct different styles from one another. Just the way that he creates and the way that he talks about his work has always been so phenomenal to the point where when I needed headshots, he was the person that I reached out to. I was like, can can you take my pictures? <laughs> but his work is absolutely beautiful and it has, again, such a distinct niche style to it, but it also has um, a level of romanticism in it and just the way that he does colors and the way that he plays with textures is just phenomenal. I find that it's really cool to take inspiration from other people. And even if you can't like distinctly see it in your work, uh, there will still be a small piece of it there. So it's really cool to, to look at other creatives that are very different from you because all of my creative influences are so incredibly different for me. It's just something that I see in their work that I love so much. Um, Jeremy Saffer is a friend of mine and his work in music is also absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, I know Jeremy Saffer. He's got he's such a great photographer, especially in the music world. Like he's photographed so many bands that I've worked with before and like every time I see his stuff, I'm just completely blown away by it. Like how did he do that? You know, he's just so so gifted and just naturally talented as a photographer. Um so wow, it's so loud outside right now. <laughs> Darn you construction. So, uh what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Don't be gullible. <laughs> Man, that sounds like such a pessimistic or cynical thing to say. But really, it's we want what we want so badly, especially when you're pursuing a creative endeavor. You just you're so entrenched in it and you you love it so much that you would do anything to make it come to fruition, but the thing is you still need to have your better sense on you. If something sounds too good to be true or someone really is kind of shooting hot air up your ass, you need to be able to see it and not allow um, your, your you know, insatiable want to succeed to be blinding you from some of the people that are a bit more nefarious and are looking to take advantage of you. And um, that is the number one advice I would give myself if I can go back in time is that anything that sounds too good to be true don't don't do it. Walk away. Um, as well as find the value in what you do and stand up for it. And what I mean by that is if someone is really trying to devalue what you do or they don't appreciate what you do, you really need to put your feet down and say, no, this is what I'm worth and this is what you're going to pay. And if you're not, you're going to go find somebody else. But you really should stand behind what you do and have confidence in what you do. And I know that having confidence is something that's a bit difficult, <laughs> especially in, again, something that's creative. And as much as you wish there will be a lot of creatives to kind of help you out there, a lot of them are going to tear you down because they don't want the competition. Oh my goodness. I was like, are they like tearing your whole building apart? <laughs> They're literally like 
I don't even know what's happening. I feel like I'm in a fucking massacre movie right now. It's insane. There's people walking on the roof. I don't know what's going on. Um, but Chainsaw Massacre in my house right now. So <laughs> it's so hard to focus because, like, I can't, like, all I can hear is them leaf blowing things. I think they're cleaning the gutters out. Um, anyway, so if somebody wants to get involved with you or if they want to take one of your photography classes, how can they reach out to you? How can they get in touch with you? So the easiest way is going to be to just Google my name, Annabelle, A-N-A-B-E-L, Deflux, D-F-L-U-X, because my registered business name is a little complicated and most people can't pronounce it because I was always really passionate about linguistics and language. Uh, So as a 15-year-old, I wasn't thinking about marketable business names or anything of the sort. I was like, this is a really cool metaphor. Because my business name is Delicast Flux, and what that means is that Delicast is a scientific term um, to turn a gas into a solid, and the way that I and the flux is a synonym for it. And the way that I saw it is that inspiration is something that um, is not tangible, and when you take that and you create something, you make something tangible. So that was kind of the metaphor for it. Um, but again, I didn't think about the fact that that's a really complex word, especially because it's not even English; it's French. Um, so. I shortened it to Deflux, which is why if you Google Annabelle Deflux, you will find all of my socials, my website. It pops up right on the front page, and I sell classes through my website. Um, I am also a Sigma ambassador, and we are planning to at some point have uh, some more workshops and education. Um, I actually just did a concert and music photography workshop with Sigma uh, several months ago, and there will be more of that to come, but I am always available for private classes for many creatives who want to pick my brain a little bit, whether it's the business of photography or the business of doing an artistic endeavor or actual photography classes or retouching classes. Uh, Any sort of knowledge that I can impart on you, I am available for. (laughs) And then how did you become a Sigma pro? Did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? So I actually met Sigma at uh, WPPI because I actually go to a lot of the photography conferences as or conventions as press because I also write uh, for the Digital Photography School. Um, I write about equipment and topics in the photography world and whatnot. So I do end up going out to these sort of conventions and trade shows to see what's going on there and what's out there. And I actually had a meeting with Sigma to talk about Uh, some of their new lenses at the time, and we got to talking, and um, I mentioned that I really do love education, and if they have any opportunity for me to teach, um, I would absolutely love to chat with them about it, and they offered me a chance to do a music photography workshop, and it went quite well, and it was over in Las Vegas, so grabbed a couple musicians, two came from LA, and one was local to Las Vegas, and we went out there, and we let photographers take photos of them, and they were posing for photographers and everyone had a great a great time and um, students were actually able to rent Sigma equipment at the time to play with all of this and uh, directly after that they they reached out and they go would you like to be a Sigma ambassador and that was probably the biggest honor I've ever had in my entire career (laughs) it's huge incredible incredible All right. So thank you for coming on Project Freelance. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Thank you so much for having me on here. I mean, when you when you asked if I would, I was like, oh, my God, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is my way of like getting to know people better that I want to, you know, potentially, you know, do projects with. So, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. And your work is marvelous and we got a road trip over to the Foxes. Yes, I'm so down. I I uh went on tour my first tour as a music photographer. I worked for a band that is from Toledo, Ohio, and they're no longer together, but when I got to their house on the first day of the tour, they had a little like silver fox. They owned a little silver fox and they didn't realize that like, you know, to own a fox, you need like permits and things. So somehow they just came across this little fox and they had it and it was the sweetest thing. So I've got some like amazing photos of this fox's face and its eyes and like what you were saying earlier about capturing animals' eyes. There's something so powerful and magical about it and like, it seriously like changed my world and like so yeah I have to get down to that fox sanctuary for sure you have to and I want to see these photos because that sounds incredible all right so now that we've lived through the Texas Chainsaw Massacre I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode thank you Annabelle for coming on I can't wait to get down to that fox sanctuary and take some photos with you I had a blast chatting with you on this episode Thank you for listening to Project Freelance. If you are new, please hit that subscribe button and do me a favor. Leave a nice rating. Leave five stars so that, you know, other people that are looking for podcasts can come across your feedback and they might give this podcast a chance. Thank you guys for listening continuously. We are almost to episode 100 of Project Freelance. I don't know what I'm going to do for the 100th episode, but I better figure it out because we are super close to it. Thank you guys again for listening to another week. I will talk to you next week on Project Freelance. My name is Kay Anagonio. I'll talk to you next time. Stay strong. Keep enduring. Go out and go create something.